And, and frankly, I think Rodgers is very much like Mahomes. Of course, I would draft Mahomes ahead of him. I, th- I think Rodgers is the slightly less mobile version of Mahomes. Hey everybody, welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com and part of Blue Wire Hustle. I'm Matt Landis, and this week we welcome back fantasy football expert Christopher Harris. For a lot of us bettors, fantasy football is its own form of gambling, and with draft season heating up, this felt like the perfect time to bring Chris back on the show. For the unfamiliar, Chris hosts the eponymous Harris Football Podcast, which is the biggest independent fantasy football podcast in the world. Before that, he spent eight years with ESPN, and his calling card is watching every play of every game to form opinions you can't find anywhere else. And one of my favorite things about Chris is that he really challenges the way you think. Just listen to this conversation for several examples of him holding my feet to the fire, and rightfully so. If you'd be interested in a little more about Chris's background as the author of four novels with a fifth one in the works, and also as a huge fan of indie rock, you can check out his first appearance on Props and Hops from the episode released on February 18th. In this discussion, we gear up for the 2021 fantasy football season, diving into some draft day strategy and how to navigate position scarcity. Plus, we talk about a couple intriguing players at each position who can make or break your fantasy fate this year. And also, since draft day is just the beginning, we explore some season-long tips, including roster turnover and how waivers and trades factor into that equation. To wrap things up, we go back and forth on Chris's advice for fantasy football players, including the value of doing your homework, but also knowing when to back off. Before we cut to the conversation with Chris, as a friendly reminder, I'm hosting the new BetUS NFL show. Check it out if you'd be interested in some football talk with myself and expert analysts Las Vegas Chris and Scott Kellen. In August, we're doing division previews. Last week, we took a look at the AFC and NFC East. This week, it's the AFC West on Tuesday and the NFC West on Friday. You can find the BetUS NFL show on YouTube and Spotify via the links in the show notes. And one more housekeeping item, for free picks driven by analytics and thousands of simulations, check out the cutting edge quick pick section at dimers.com. I've also dropped a link to that in the show notes, so you can see where you want to get down on the Dimerspot's biggest edges across all the biggest sports. And now, enjoy my conversation with fantasy football expert, Christopher Harris. Christopher Harris, welcome back to Props and Hops. At least I think this is Chris, but I'm told that according to Instagram, you're not verifiable. <laughs> this is true. I'm very much not verified. I I think just generally speaking, um, you should you should be suspicious of me. Like when I come over to your house, you have to be suspicious. <laughs> when you, when we go to flea markets, you have to be suspicious. Like that for sure. I'm definitely a suspicious guy. Yeah, well, uh, I, I'd like to kick things off just by, um, I guess, digging into a little bit of what you've been up to. It's a, It's been a busy offseason, even though we're not out of the throes of the pandemic. Since we last spoke on the show about six months ago, you have uh, started to up your presence on Instagram. Hopefully we see that blue check mark pretty soon. You've moved across the country from L.A. to Massachusetts, and I know we'll see you back in Southern California before too long. 
And you've also written an almanac on just about every fantasy viable player this season. So maybe you could start by telling us a bit about that. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's like a draft guide. Everybody has to have their draft guide. Um, you know, I, I worked at ESPN for a lot of years and I used to write most of the profiles in that print magazine that you know people used to buy on the newsstands when that was still a thing. And, um, when I went out on my own, I thought, well, that's the end of that because you can't pay to have your own print magazine done. And, you know, of course I, I thought, okay, maybe I could do a PDF, but it's a lot of work to do. And I wouldn't know whether I would sell any. So I just sort of the first year that I was on my own 2015, I, I kind of just ignored the possibility of doing it. Well, actually it was 2016 because 2015 was the season. So it was like the summer of 2016. And um, I, I kind of said, well, I'm not going to do it. And then actually a fan suggested uh, Tom Morgan, who I still know suggested, um, why don't you do a, a, like a, like a GoFundMe and say that if you, if you get it, if you, if you reach a certain dollar value of people committing to buying, then you'll write it. And if you don't, you just say, no, everybody gets their money back. So I was like, damn it. That's pretty smart. And I was kind of loving the idea that I wasn't writing these profiles all summer. It was kind of a nice summer. And, um, I did the, I did the GoFundMe and I mean, it funded in three days, Matt, it was so dumb, uh, that I was so, yeah, I was so, uh, worried. So yeah, ever since then I spend three months writing this thing. It's 240 profiles. It's a PDF. Um, it's got all my opinions based on going back and watching basically everybody again on film and re-familiarizing myself and giving everybody film grades and then also, you know, I think for people who like comedy, hopefully it's worth the read because, you know, I put a lot of effort into jokes. Yeah, I love one of your lines. I think it's AJ Dillon mentioning that when we see a really big guy do anything remotely athletic, it's like seeing people obsess about a cat playing the piano. And the first reaction is, oh, wow, that's amazing. And then a second later, you're like, well, but that song isn't really good, is it? <laughs> so just that sense of humor to go with the the insight that you have that's unmatched in the space just makes the almanac, I think, a must buy. And something that I think uh, it really brings out is what makes you different in a space that can often be just such an echo chamber to steal a phrase from you on your show. And I know when we had you on earlier in the off season, we discussed a lot of what makes you different with your approach to fantasy in general. But to focus on drafting a little bit, since we're getting into the peak of draft season, I think what's not in the almanac almost speaks, uh, you know, as much to what is there and some of the things that are noticeably absent to people who read a lot of other sources, things like stat projections, ranking guys in tiers, uh, kicker ranks. So you can buy the almanac if you want to know why that is. I think you laid out some good context up front. But my question, piggybacking on that would be, how do you decide where to focus your energy and what's worth simply disregarding? That's a really good question, Matt. (laughs) That's why you're doing this podcast, because it's a good question. Um, I guess my philosophy of of the thing that I would want to communicate to people who like this stuff, who care about this stuff, who want to be good at it would be to think about the things that are most likely to be influential in the outcome of a player's NFL season. And the real answer you and I both know is that like a lot of it is pretty unknowable that that just sometimes circumstances conspire and players who are just so, so have really great years and people who are really good have just so, so years. And a lot of the factors that 
wind up determining those things are stuff that we just really kind of can't know beforehand. Like I wouldn't want to say that we go into fantasy season or NFL season with, you know, treating the Kansas city chiefs offense exactly like the Jacksonville Jaguars offense. Of course not right at the, at the extremes, we understand situations. We understand where there are likely, you know, these good players are going to make these other good players good. And it's a good system and blah, 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 blah. But that kind of argument, the kind of thing that, you know, if it was really easy to guess, this is this is a podcast called props and hops like if it were really easy to guess the over under totals of of nfl teams the guys in vegas would be poor and we'd all be rich you know we're, yep. we're actually pretty bad at figuring out which teams are good beforehand and which teams are going to get wrecked by injury and which teams are going to have a coaching problem or whatever you know just a bunch of stuff that uh gets super over relied on this time of year um and then and then i would also say like depth chart reading is something else that I don't know. I, I think when your prime reason to wanting to have somebody on your fantasy team is like, who else is there on that roster at that position? I don't think he's good, but who else is there? I, I, I think that 90% of the time leads to trouble. I think we're just, I'm trying to pay attention to the thing that I think is most deterministic of somebody's fantasy fate. And frankly, an NFL team's fate which is like the individual quality of the players. Like, are they good? Can they take advantage if things break right? Because often we're not very good at judging of whether they're going to break right. Yeah. And I, I like that notion of looking at things that seem most deterministic of a player's fate or a team's fate. And when we're thinking about the players from a fantasy drafting perspective, I think average draft position is one of those things that some people might put too much emphasis on being deterministic in any way. I know it's something that you wait to look into. In fact, you've just started looking and and a lot of people have probably been keeping their eyes on it for weeks, if not months at this point. So could you give us a little bit of context as to why you think it's important to wait to look at ADP and and really just think for yourself and forming your own opinions? You just said it. (laughs) That's the answer. You know, ADP this time of year, when we're talking like beginning of the third week of August, how many drafts have taken place? You know, like how, what percent of all the drafts are going to take place have taken place? Not 1%. It's definitely less than 1%. Is, would it be a 10th of a percent? Might it be like a, a thousandth? Of, I don't know. Like it's some tiny amount that's determining average draft position. And then it becomes this self-eating cycle of like, well, that's where the ADP is based on a bunch, you know, a very few number of drafts that happen on August 3rd. So I'm just not, it's noise as far as I'm concerned until I really, until we really have to draft and we really need to know what our friends are going to do in our drafts. What's the point? What's the difference? Just think for yourself, figure out what you, the order that you like them in and then, and then look at them, which you're right, right about now is, and I'm I'm about, we're recording this on a Monday and I apologize if that was, I shouldn't have said that, but uh, like on Tuesday morning on my, on on Tuesday morning on my show, I'm going to start doing ADP surprises. Like I'm going to start going, Oh wow. Huh? Interesting. That's not what I would have expected, which I think that's where everybody begins to develop their notion of value, right? The let's face it, take a step back. The issue that we have in this little dumb world that I live in is that the people who want to be in this world and the people who are in this world are desperate for something to talk about. They have to justify their existences. They need there to be scuttlebutt. There need to be beat reports to overreact to. There need to be ADPs to, to freak out about and say, oh, it's too high or it's too low. And so they make mountains literally out of molehills, maybe figuratively, not quite literally. Uh, and and like I just feel like there's plenty to talk about when if you're just going to talk about who's good and who's not good, 
there's plenty to talk about. And then sometime a little bit before we all start drafting, you know, I would say probably next weekend is, is really the beginning of draft season. And even then it's probably going to be the weekend after that. That's even bigger. Okay. Then let's all start figuring out where actual value is, where our discrepancies are in our ranks compared to the ADP up to that point. You're just, it's just noise. Yeah. I, I love that framework and I totally hear you and that we're not going to hit, you know, the peak of draft season probably for another week or two from the timing of this episode's release on Tuesday, the 17th of August. But you did mention that the day of this episode's release, you're going to start to touch on some average draft position surprises. And so having just started to take that recent first look, has anything stood out? And even if something has stood out, how much value are you putting into that knowing that we do still have the bulk of drafts that will ultimately inform ADP still to come? Yeah, but I still have to, you know, it, there comes a point where I have to go, all right, even though the drafts haven't come yet, at some point I need to start telling, you know, if it, there are going to be a lot of people who draft this coming weekend and I can't be like, sorry guys, not enough drafts yet. You know, I have to start giving advice about value. So more, I, I'm basically waiting to the point where the most possible drafts have happened and I can start talking about value and planning flags and stuff like that. And I'm going to be honest, I haven't really done the work for Tuesday's episode yet. I'm talking to you. So I don't have a, a I'm going to literally start digging into ADP and comparing ranks to my own ranks and finding great differences. I just know from having talked with people who come on my show every every week every day all you know these past weeks i know that like aaron Rodgers, i know the market does not think he's the qb2 and i do and i'm glad to talk about why uh josh jacobs i know the market hates him and i'm still viewing him as like a high level rb2 so i know i'm higher on him um who else stands out i think mike evans uh, I'm higher, I think, on the mar- than the market on. I'm not sure all of these guys, I haven't really, like, ex- as I said, I've really dug in. This is much more me gauging the reaction of guests that come on my show when they go, when I hear the, pa- the really polite pause, you know, and they, <laughs> they're like, oh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> you could tell. Yep. Uh, um, so, so I can't even really promise that I'm way different ADP-wise, but my sense is that I am. Yeah, that makes sense. I think that we can circle back on a few of these names in a moment and and start to uh, dig into key players at the key positions in fantasy. But one thing I wanted to touch on before we get there would be thinking about draft day from a bit more of a high level perspective. And within the context of, you know, more or less standard settings, let's say it's 12 teams and it's half a point PPR, if any, um, you know, the, the typical ESPN, Yahoo settings that we might see. I know their defaults can vary in terms of what they assign to a point per reception, but if we just assume it's standard-ish, which most fantasy players are looking at, one thing that almost always seems to come up as people form their approaches is what to do with position scarcity. So on one Mm -hmm. end of the spectrum, it can be sticking to your board and just knowing that, hey, I've ranked these guys here for a reason and like I'm going to draft accordingly. Some people might want to do that throughout the entire draft, other people up to a certain point, And then you obviously want to see what the draft is doing and kind of let things come to you. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we've got people who just look at it from a standpoint of positional needs. And if you drafted a running back in the first round or, or maybe the first two rounds, it doesn't matter if your next turn, there's a really good running back available. You might deviate if, say, you need to get a wide receiver on your team. So how do you approach things from the standpoint of sticking to your board versus being aware of positional needs? I think there's a lot more nuance there than some people want mm-hmm. to give it credit for. And it seems like you tend to have a pretty good approach to that and and just not trying to force a square peg into a round hole. Well, I think 
partly is that's a false dichotomy, right? It's either you stick to your board or you, right? It's, it's not really a dichotomy at all. It's not, there's not two choices. There's a spectrum that you kind of probably go into your draft with one mindset. Like, yeah, these are the players. This is the order that I like that I'm in. I'd rather pick them in this, in this, but if there's some crazy positional run and I feel like I don't want to get caught at the butt end of something, you know, and I, I feel like I want to get out in front, I might deviate a little bit. I also just might, um, like I, I did this um, Hall of Fantasy League draft mm-hmm. the day before we're talking, which is a 10-team Superflex. And Matt, I can tell you the number of 10-team leagues that I've drafted in the last, I mean, I can't, I don't know the last, I don't, I've never played in one. I don't think I've ever played in one. And if I have, I don't remember it. And if I've done mocks, it must have been ESPN days. And 10-team is really different. 10-team... I deviated from my ranks quite a bit, especially Superflex. I mean, but even like I, I have Superflex ranks for 12 team. So I'll just, maybe I'll give you an example that'll maybe answer the question with an example. Sure. In that, in that draft, it's a 10 team league. I'm picking sixth. And I know that if I was picking sixth in a 12 team league, I definitely wouldn't have taken a quarterback in the first round had three gone in the first five picks, which is what happened. Three go in the first five picks. Alvin Kamara is sitting there at number six for me in a 12 team league. I'm positive. I would have taken Alvin Kamara positive. And in this league, because 10 team is just weird and it's star ball. And you really are looking to make, you know, home run hits and, you know, difference makers as much as you can at each position. I took a quarterback in the first round and Travis Kelsey was there on the back end. And I rarely get Kelsey in drafts, but in this super flex, he lasted all the way to what is that? 15. And I took him too. So the number of times people, that's, it's funny on Twitter, people thought I had a head wound or I was drunk or something for the first couple of rounds <laughs> because I'm, I'm never the quarterback tight end guy. Never, rarely, because those typically aren't scarce positions. And even, you know, in a 10 team league, of course, they're even less scarce. Everything is, but because it's star ball and because the right guy was there that, you know, I, so I guess that all that is by way of saying there's no right answer. I can't tell you it's exactly 73% stick to your board and 27% be dynamic and listen to what the market is telling you. I would prefer if I've spent a lot of time on my ranks or if I've found someone whose ranks I really trust, I would prefer to be in the neighborhood on those ranks. But also I know what it's like to make ranks and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I don't know. Sure. He's 27. Yeah. That guy's 28. Huge difference. Like, you know, at some point I go, it's a, it's a neighborhood play and I'm okay. If you kind of are, messing around you like that running back you want a running back instead of wide receiver cool I, i'm okay with that I, I just think it's a it's a little bit more art than science yeah absolutely i like the fact that you mentioned i think your words were i'm never the quarterback ted end guy and and yet there you were yesterday and just knowing that while that is a very rare scenario it's still on the table and i know you mentioned that this could be a, a false dichotomy either you know sticking to your board or you know being more dynamic but I think it's it's great just to know that, you know, even if people do have some more binary thoughts, okay, I must get a running back with my first two picks. I, I need to get a wide receiver one because after that it gets right. really ugly really fast. Knowing that, okay, anytime that you make a pick, you know, there's, you know, there's some upside to it and then there's some downside that you're taking on as a result of it. So everything's a bit of a trade-off. And uh, with that foundation set, I, I would love to get into uh, – I don't know, for lack of a better term, I think of it as a little game of 
buy or sell. This is not okay. necessarily saying these are players that you will be high or low on relative to ADP. If people sure. want, they can cross-reference ranks at harrisfootball.com with other ranks that they might look at to get that info. So the aim of this is to be more qualitative and maybe an excuse to get your unique insight on some pretty intriguing players. And starting at quarterback, you just mentioned you're sensing that without fully digging in, you're you're pretty high on Aaron Rodgers. Obviously, having him at number two uh, on your quarterback ranks, that's probably going to be the case when you dig into ADP with a little bit more intent. So what would you say? Um, we know he's talented. He's the reigning MVP. There's no question about you know any of that. But what would you say still has you on the high end of the totem pole? I don't, I still, nobody has really made the argument to me. And I've had several people try on my show. Nobody's really made the anti Aaron Rodgers argument to me other than I don't think those touchdowns can recur. And okay, that's fine. But you thought when Patrick Mahomes threw 50, you thought they would, and he threw 26 the next year and you still like Patrick Mahomes. And, and frankly, I think Rodgers is very much like Mahomes. Of course I would draft Mahomes ahead of him, but the case, I mean, I'm not, I'm not meaning to sound might have the tone of my voice be like, Matt, I can't believe you have this opinion. Like I, I'm, I'm asking you to sort of play the perspective of the person who is dubious and wants Aaron Rodgers to be QB seven or eight or nine or something. I, I wish, wish somebody could make the case for me that Pat Mahomes has the potential for more passing yardage than Rodgers. Yeah, he does. He probably does. Does he have the potential for more passing touchdowns? Potential. Sure. He didn't do it last year. Is he going to run a lot more than, I mean, the, the anti Rogers case is always, well, Lamar Jackson runs. Does, does, does uh, Patrick Mahomes run in a significant way? He didn't last year. He had, you know, Lamar Jackson had, you know, 700 more yards than Patrick Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes maybe had a hundred more than Aaron Rodgers. It's not significant. And Rogers will, will QB sneak sometimes too. I, I think Rogers is the slightly less mobile version of Mahomes. And I don't understand the argument that says he can't, be everybody is good last year and that is a touchdown regression possible even likely some to some level yeah because that's a historic 49 is a big 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 number it's like the fourth or fifth most ever in league history but is it is it a fait accompli that it's a regression of 20 touchdowns you know i i don't nobody's really making that argument other than to say you know he hates his team question mark question mark question mark you know i just i just don't believe that stuff really matters when the rubber meets the road. I guess if the things start bad, they could snowball and maybe people are factoring in the X percent chance that the Packers just decide after week six, they hate each other and they don't want to be together anymore. And that's probably does exist. I don't know. He seems like a jerk, but uh, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't know. Can you, can you think of what the case is that Rogers's lack of mobility is that much more crushing than Mahomes's lack of mobility? Not really. What I think comes to mind is the one yard touchdowns last year. And I know people who look at the numbers can see that right away. Um, one of my favorite props and the Packers were just dynamite for this was shortest touchdown under one and a half yards. It seems <laughs> really specific, but it happens more than the average fan might think. And the Packers won a lot of high scoring games. That was the reason I liked it in the first place was just because more points good for more touchdowns, good for the odds of a one-yard touchdown. But yeah. Rodgers threw so many from the one. And then I pause and think, yeah, but the year before, everybody was writing Rodgers off as almost undraftable because his touchdown numbers were so low the year before. So, you know, we don't have as good of a sense as we like to think we do when it comes to 
the statistical output, again, circling back to why you don't do stat projections like a lot of other people, maybe there's something to it at the one with Devontae Adams and Rodgers' skill set that makes him, you know, better in those short yardage situations. Maybe it was randomness and he'll regress a little bit, but it doesn't mean he's going to regress all the way back to where he was a couple years ago where everybody had pretty much written him off altogether. Yeah, for me, the the case always comes down to, well, Mahomes is in his own world, and then, of course, you have to have the mobile guys over Rodgers. That, that becomes the argument that everybody's made to me. And the more I think about it, the more I go, Mahomes, is likely, Mahomes has Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. Uh, Rodgers only has one of those guys. Rodgers only has Devontae Adams. Like it's, it's a better situation. He's, he's younger. He's safer. He, he deserves to be ahead of him. But it seems like there's, the, the argument for them is very similar. Because I could say the same thing about Mahomes and and did in his 50 touchdown season, and he had 26 the next year, it, albeit in 14 games. But like I I I am I just you know the Mahomes, what did Mahomes have uh, 300 yards rushing last year? Is is 300 yards? I mean, it's definitely it's going to get more than Rogers. 300 yards rushing. Like, does that make him so bulletproof? Like. Mahomes could also have bad touchdown luck. Mahomes could also have an unfortunate, like still a high scoring offense, but the running back just gets a bunch more scores. Everything people say, and the argument that you just made on the people's behalf, not on your behalf, but like it's, it's the same, it's the same detriment. They both have the same thing. Roger. I just looking it up. Rogers had 149. So we're talking about 150 pass uh, rushing yard difference last year. I, yeah, I just, I'm, I don't know why the argument applies to one guy, not the other. Yeah, and if we're talking about mobility being a key separator, like, yeah, I want to see Mahomes stay healthy. He's a blast to watch. But between turf toe having to leave the Browns game in the divisional round, I mean, he's not in his first or second year anymore looking to prove himself. I think the Chiefs are going to try to protect him, and, and they should. So that might mean that his rushing output sure. goes down. Maybe not. Again, he's if he's got the athleticism and they really need him to pick up a first down, then cool, he's got it. That's great. But it also stands to reason that a lot of quarterbacks, as they get deeper into their career, you know, that might drop off and you're trying to preserve more of the upside and keep guys healthier. So I think with, with a guy like Mahomes, he's still, to your point, in his own world, but it's not like, you know, the mobility is, is such a game changer from a guy like Rodgers. And, and we saw everything last year. Um, yeah, I, I get the case for certain mobile quarterbacks to be right behind Mahomes, but I also find it really hard to fault the notion that Rodgers suddenly isn't capable of doing something that we just saw him do that, by the way, we've known he's been capable of for a decade plus at this point. Yeah, and the only reason I bring up the mobility is because everybody uses it against Rodgers and nobody uses it against Mahomes. <laughs> you know, it does, it's just weird. Yeah, well, I think that uh, if Rodgers can just, again, even with some touchdown regression, maintain the level of talent that we saw last year, that's otherworldly in and of itself. And and that alone, even if he doesn't finish at the number two, probably not going to be a guy that a lot of people regret drafting. Um, maybe like when you're talking about the, the best ball draft and, or excuse me, the hall of fantasy league draft. Um, I was thinking star ball, your turn for the 10 teamers and going with Lamar Jackson. Sometimes you want more variability, but also with the mobile guys who we know aren't as talented as Rogers when it comes to playing quarterback you know, that could be really rewarding or it could really punish you, especially if you're sacrificing an early pick to get that. Yeah. 
I can get into a whole thing about Rogers in that draft, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we don't need to. People can listen to your episode from Monday yeah. the 16th. If they want to hear that decision process that, uh, yeah, yeah. sounded like a, a big tug of war in real time going on in your minds. But another was- quarterback I wanted to touch on, uh, who didn't uh, come up in the Hall of Fantasy League conversation, but has come up uh, quite a bit across the football media verse recently. Ryan Fitzpatrick, a lot of fun to watch, but you can really live and die by the sword with him as much as anybody, perhaps. And I think that it's fun to get excited about, you know, the upside that he brings with a guy like Terry McLaurin and playing for, you know, a team with a pretty good surrounding roster. But at the same time, I think you do a good job of even if it's a sobering dose of reality, just trying to keep everybody in check. And Fitzpatrick is not the kind of guy that's flying high in the draft. And a lot of leagues, he won't go drafted. And that's perfectly fair. But in a lot of leagues, he might be a guy that gets picked up pretty early on if teams waited on quarterback and they want to make a change. So how do you view a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I, I get why he's so easy to root for. He's so fun to watch, but at the same time, not always the smoothest ride in fact uh pretty much always not a smooth ride at all if you've got him in your weekly lineup i don't think we need to spend too much time on him you just you just said everything i would have said well said he's he's probably uh, there's just there's this like tongue-in-cheek assumption that sure you want him week one but just you don't want him week seven because he'll be benched by then you know there's this overall feeling that we've seen enough he's 39 (laughs) we know what the act is and he's super fun but yeah it's it's not you know it doesn't last it it's never lasted i don't know why it would last now yeah well he doesn't need to be above average for washington to get an upgrade at quarterback this season after having dwayne haskins and alex smith last year but that's uh you know that's beyond the scope of fantasy so i i think that that context on uh why you might not want him week to week is worth keeping in mind even as a lot of quarterbacks that guys wait to take, you know, there might be a lot of churn, but careful putting all your eggs in the Fitzpatrick basket. I want to touch on some running backs as well. And you mentioned also that you're pretty high on Josh Jacobs. I I feel like everybody was high on him a couple years ago. And then, you know, 2020 happened and people were, you know, quick to part ways, but what has kept you high on Jacobs? Is it, you know, purely his talent? Um, or what do you think might have other people lower and you're willing to, you know, stick your neck out a bit? perhaps I am once again flabbergasted. I mean, 2020 happened. He was the RB eight, Matt. Like I, what was that a bad year? Yeah. Like it was a little, it was a little, it was very touchdown dependent. It was 12 touchdowns, but a thousand yards rushing. And it was frustrating. Definitely frustrating here and there. I'm not going to palm it off as like big success for Josh Jacobs, but, and, and it's the RB eight because a lot of guys got hurt, but it's still the RB eight. You know, we're, we're, patting Kenyon Drake on the back for finishing as the RB nine or 10 or something like that. Right. And, and, uh, and then Josh Jacobs, you're a loser. Cause you finished the RB eight. Um, Kenyon Drake is the reason that there's, this is entirely about people going, they wouldn't have signed him if they weren't going to use him. Kenyon Drake's going to play too much. I don't want Josh Jacobs. And I don't know how things are going to work out. I can't tell you, but all I can tell you who I think the better player is and, I've had a love-hate relationship with Kenny Drake for a long time. I mean, I used to really think, wow, this guy's tall and big and strong and fast, and why can't he be good? And it turned out he couldn't be. Um, and, you know, he did almost all of his damage last year and won half against the Cowboys. Uh, the, the thing that people are saying was like, well, uh, Josh Jacobs won't play on third down. Do you know how many third downs Josh Jacobs played last year with no Kenny Drake? I'm actually asking. You don't know. Oh, I thought that was rhetorical. I, I have no idea. How can many you, can third you, downs? Can, yeah. 
<laughs> oh man, you're asking the wrong guy. Uh, let's say uh, I don't know a few a game. So let's let's call it I don't know forty. It was sixty, right? And I mean, I I think it's pretty clear. I said that you knew from the tone of my voice that it was going to be yeah. low. Anchored me low, yeah. Right, but it's like sixty third down snaps. That, that's that's how many do you have in a game? How many third down snaps do you have in a game? That's like three games worth. You know, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm got to, and, and he scored 12 touchdowns and had a thousand yards rushing. I'm supposed to be freaked out because Kenyon Drake might play third down. Like, okay, yes, if it works out that Kenyon Drake plays a lot more than third down, then I'll wind up not feeling awesome. But my feeling of watching Drake all these years in all these cities not turn into the player. I mean, if if the numbers were real and the Cardinals really thought he was good, don't you think they would have signed him? <laughs> don't you think he'd still be there? Like the Cardinals let him walk and took on James Conner. Because they were just like, yeah, dude, go ahead. Go get paid somewhere because we don't think you're good enough. And it's not like he got that much money from the Raiders. So uh, I just think in the end, if it's a platoon, I'm okay because they're all platoons. There's about three backfields that aren't platoons. And these days, platoon means one guy's more valuable and one guy's has some value but less valuable. I'll just, I use the stat a lot, but how many thousand yard seasons rushing does Alvin Kamara have in his life? That would be the same, same number as you have, Matt. That's not, that would be zero. That's not how they use them. There is another player who plays there, whether it's going to be Latavius Murray or somebody else, someone else will play. And yet we're all still going Alvin Kamara first round because he's really good. And Josh Jacobs isn't that kind of receiver, but I think as a runner, he's awfully good. He's the combination of laterally shifty and good vision and really strong. And I am still very pro. Yeah, I think there's plenty of good reason for that. Somebody maybe on the flip side, a running back who we don't have to look at ADP to guess that you'll be low on him, and that would be David Montgomery. I know we discussed him a bit when we spoke in February, right after the season, but I think it might be worth revisiting now to keep it top of mind for drafts. Um, I mean, talk about Jacobs finishing eighth. Montgomery had a crazy finish to the season to really inflate his end of season ranking among all running backs. But why do you think we'll see that come back down to earth in 2021? The thing is, I don't think the market got, is, is so wrong on him right now. The market doesn't love David Montgomery. I'm a little lower, but I'm within a round. You know, I think the market in like a half point perception is 28 overall. And I'm, I don't know, something like 35 overall. So it's like, I, I don't think it's, I don't think people are getting too crazy about David Montgomery. I think most people have seen through December. And there are a few people who are like, it's going to be even better. And they can... They can celebrate their their win if they're right. I, I I tend to agree with what the market is telling us, which is you should not be believing that Dave Montgomery is that good. Um, you know that he was through week eleven, he was RB twenty seven last year. He had four hundred and twenty seven rushing yards and two touchdowns, and then he went crazy. And okay, it counts; those numbers counted, and it won people a lot of fantasy championships. But he's just he's a power back and nothing else. I don't think he's fast. I don't think he's elusive. I think he's really strong, a really tough, gutsy runner. He reminds me somewhat of Chris Carson, who another player a couple of years ago, people were like special elite. Cause all they were doing was looking at numbers. And in fact, special, special in the same way that James Robinson is special, Dave Montgomery, uh, uh, Chris Carson, you know, special in that they put themselves through hell. They turn themselves inside out. They get absolutely shellacked by like four guys every single play like they're it's incredible bravery and toughness but just not special as a player and i think usually that usually therefore you sort of go 
Well, when they're not super special, I doubt their team stick with them forever. Maybe, but it's that Jeremy Hill syndrome. I'll never forget the last year I was at ESPN and sitting in that rankings room and having somebody make the case that Jeremy Hill was, should be the, the number eight overall pick. And, and actually, they were mad that we weren't higher on him. And I just thought I was taking crazy pills. I'm like, Jeremy Hill had a great year and is tough as hell, but you got to watch these games, right? Like, he's just, he's a big dude who runs into stuff. And the moment they have another alternative, they're going to work that other alternative in. Uh, is Khalil Herbert another alternative for Chicago? Could be. Is Damian Williams another alternative? Could be. One of them probably is going to play. It sounds like Tree Cohen probably won't be ready. Um, but, but, you know, I'm not like saying, the reason I don't want Dave Montgomery is I'm so scared of Damian Williams. It's much more like, yeah, I just, I think he's the starting running back and he's going to touch it more than anybody else. But I think if you want to be a good team, you want, you know, a diverse attack and better players and he's just okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of a good team with a diverse attack, leading me right into the first wide receiver, I wanted to ask you about Mike Evans. I know he's a menace in the red zone and yeah, he does seem to be somebody that you're relatively high on. So Aside from you know a lot of things that anybody who's watched the NFL recently would know about Mike Evans being a good player, <laughs> what do you think separates him in your eyes that some of us might be missing that say, yeah, he's good, but we we're not aware of just how good he is? No, you you're aware. You just said it. You're aware. You're exactly aware. Anybody who would watch a football game in which Mike Evans plays would have a good idea of what I like about him, which is that he's very big and very fast and jumps high. <laughs> That's it. Like. You know, how many years in a row do we need to have the argument given to us touchdown regression for Mike Evans? He just scores double digits every year, practically. Um, you know, I, I don't know what to say. He's got, what is it? What's the number? Uh, since 2014, Mike Evans has 45 touchdowns on passes thrown to the end zone, most of any receiver in the league. I just, I don't think touchdowns are a, a weird bug with, with him. He's, he's a really good long threat. He's always going to make a few long touchdowns in a, in a given season. And then he's an awesome red zone threat and his hands are terrible, but <laughs> you know, uh, I, I just, I don't think it's a complicated argument. I think people make it way too complicated. Yeah. And I think something that comes up with uh, a lot of people would be again, the situation and anybody who's listened to you uh, would know this. So we don't need to beat a dead horse, but in the same offense with Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, you know, it could be a, an issue of volume. And I know you like to make fun of chasing volume at all costs and, and overlooking <laughs> Too many talent. To feed. Yeah. <laughs> but exactly. I, I would guess that when people are overcomplicating it in Evan's case, that that exact thought process is probably the prime culprit. Sure. The, if anybody shouldn't be part of the too many mouths to feed argument, it's Mike Evans. Now I understand that from a, not every fantasy team is going to feel awesome with Mike Evans as one of the receivers, because he's a high variance player. You're definitely always going to get some weeks of four catches for 32 yards and no touchdowns. There's always four or five of those. And so you got, you have to have the right roster construction for Mike Evans. You need to have some dudes to smooth out the rough edges. Right. And Mike Evans is, is not a smooth ride. He's, he's an EKG report, no question, but I don't know. It seems to me that I want dudes who can go out and win weeks. And when Evans has his six or seven weeks where he's on fire, he's just an absolute week winner. And and like, I, yeah, it would be wonderful if everybody was exactly like Devonte Adams and <laughs> never had a down week and always had 80 yards receiving and a touchdown. That would be awesome. But that's really aren't too many of those guys. Um, uh, but I understand if, if someone goes, 
you know, I, no, no, I need more steadiness because I, I took more chances at my running back spot and I need to make sure my wide receiver one or high, high wide receiver two is more stable. But um, I just think the idea that he's not going to have like 70 catches, a thousand yards and 12 touchdowns. It's just like, okay, I'm, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm waiting for the season when he doesn't do that. Yeah. Well, and speaking of volatility, that's pretty much everywhere you look at wide receiver and that's not a new concept, but it seems like it might be getting taken to a whole new level this year. And that reminds me of somebody who I feel like every time you bring him up, I'm either surprised how much you seem to like him or how much you seem not to like him. So you, you probably have somewhere in the middle. You probably have a, a better read on him than I do, but that would be Devonte Parker. So what do you see in him, um, you know, in 2021 that, you know, might be a little bit different than what you're grasping the market sense is, or do you think the market's in line and it's just going to be, you know, another one of those wide receivers who's got plenty of talent, but it's always going to be a wild ride. So I probably would be, my guess is I'm probably actually a little higher on the market, but no, we're not, I, you know, I don't want to draft him as a starter. Um, but like, I'm looking right now, as you mentioned him, cause I didn't know who you were going to say, and he's like a 12th round pick, uh, according to ADP that I'm looking at half, um, half point per reception. And I would say I'm more like, well, I don't know what's, what's 94th. What round is that? in a 12 team league that's the eighth round okay like am i am i really upset that someone's saying 12th instead of eighth you know i there's probably room for me to take him in the 10th 11th round and feel like all right there's a chance i got a chance he's he's an okay dart throw i'd say the i know the reason why people would be anti-parker would just be because jalen waddle is the shiny object and and I get it. And Will Fuller isn't playing week one. And okay, that, that factors in too. Parker had that one crazy good year, which is actually just a crazy good half a year. Who's the David Montgomery of wide receivers that year and got a big contract and has really done nothing since. I don't, I don't know that he's all that. He's pretty gifted. I mean, he's a former first round pick. He's a pretty gifted player. He's, he's, you know, athletically pretty gifted. I'm not sure he's that smart as a player, but he's fast and he's tall and, and, has size that neither Fuller nor Waddle have. And it makes me think there's, there's, there's kinds of work there for Parker that might be a little steadier than it might be for Waddle and Fuller right away. I, I know how much Matt Waldman, who was just on my show today, loves Jalen Waddle and is sure that he's a absolute fantasy factor right away. I tend not to think so. I think these little speed guys who need to learn the nuances of stuff usually take some time. It's not to say he can't be really good, but my my feeling is he's not like immediately Tyreek Hill and that there's other stuff there for someone else. And I have those three dolphin receivers ranked really, really close around each other, like in the 35 to 45 range. They're all, they're all right there. I'm not going to get mad at you. If you said one or the other over the other one, um, it's worth taking all of them to be honest. Cause I, you know, I, I don't know how it's going to work out. Yeah. Well, one of my takeaways from your describing Devonte Parker would be mentioning him being a dart throw. And as soon as you said that, um, I thought not only after wide receiver one, that applies to pretty much everybody, um, but a position group where that applies pretty much across the board, including some of the starters, would be tight end. And somebody who I think that you've become higher on more recently, um, still more of a lottery ticket, just you know the, the traditional upside play, could be a guy like Donald Parham. <laughs> no, don't draft Donald Parham. Uh, and I, I would say I don't have ranked anything like a starter or even draftable, but it's interesting. He's, he's six, eight. 
and I had some funny stat in the almanac about how there's only been one wide receiver six eight in the history of the league as far as far as we know, and then tight ends. I think there's just been a few in this millennium. And wouldn't it be interesting if the super tall guy, who's who's really a glorified wide receiver, became a thing? But he's got a long way to go. Jared Cook is there. Uh, it's it's worth just keeping an eye. I would say he's much more a waiver guy. Absolutely, yeah. Good clarification. I didn't mean him as somebody to make sure you draft, but at the same time, uh, it could be somebody worth keeping in mind as we look to probably uh, churn through the bottom of our rosters uh, before the season gets too late. Parm could be a guy to buy into pretty quickly if we get any of the good signals. Tyler Higby on the other side of the equation, the other tight end in Los Angeles. He's the guy that, um, as I look now, it seems like the market might have come down a bit on him recently, but for a while, even this year, he's the guy that you were lower on. Now that's starting to even out. I think the market's coming to you on Higby, but um, it, it seems like there's, there's generally just some people who are infatuated with what he flashed a couple years ago. And he is being drafted closer to where we would see some starters go, especially in some 12 team leagues. If people mm. do, for some reason, take second tight ends. Um, Tyler Higby is a guy who might get drafted, but in a lot of cases, that's probably not the best idea. I mean, I don't know. I, there's going to be a couple of tight ends who, we rank outside the top 12 or top 12 adjacent who pop and we just jump on them because a lot of times the reason a tight end pops is a Robert Tunyon reason, not because anybody thinks he's great, not because he's really even a full-time player, but because just the stars align, man, and they don't cover you for a while. And that felt to me, honestly, like the Tyler Higby thing from what year was that? 2019. Yeah. 2019, because mm-hmm. he was a bust for me last year. He was on my bust list to us year, and he did bust. Uh, you know, they, They've talked to that rookie, Jacob Harris, my cousin, cousin Jacob. Did, <laughs> did he get hurt though? I can't, I don't remember if Jacob Harris got hurt. Eh, Jacob Harris is not a reason to, to for sure not draft Tyler Higby or anything like that. Um, he, you know, I, I just, I think he's not that amazing. I, I don't, I don't think he's, I mean, he's a big guy. So he has, he has that he's strong. I, I don't think he's fast. I don't think he really does anything special. I don't think he runs amazing routes. I think he's sort of just, I don't know that that big run that he had, I recall on tape being a bunch of like misdirection stuff, typical Sean McVay stuff where they just ran a couple plays for him and they popped and he made big numbers. And, you know, I don't know that it meant, I don't know. (laughs) It's, it's the final five games of 2019. I'm reading from my own almanac. Higby saw more than 11 targets per game. And last year it went back to three or four. If Tyler Higby was as good as the guy who got the 11 targets per game, I just don't know why the Rams wouldn't be like, yeah, let's keep using them. Cool. Let's do that. You know, and I think teams kind of tell you what they think of their players. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And we can wrap up going through specific players on that note. No need to belabor the point with defenses or kickers. Uh, hopefully most of the leagues people are in don't bother with those positions. And if they do, then good luck. You're on your own. But <laughs> I would like to move on from the draft, even though it's huge. It was really helpful to chat through, uh, what, eight specific players with you, plus some draft day strategy. But while this is perhaps the most fun part of the fantasy season for a lot of people, it's definitely not the only part that's key to winning. In fact, I'd argue it's only the beginning. Last year, I was fortunate to win a championship with a team that had Jalen Hurts and Miles Gaskin in the lineup, and that wasn't on anybody's radar 
we know when we're talking draft season 2020. And in fact, one of the reasons I made it that far was another guy who wasn't in my lineup for championship week because he had gotten hurt, but I added James Robinson shortly after the draft. And I bring this up not as a way of bragging and saying, oh, look, I, I won a championship last year. I'm so smart. Although I, especially with Gaskin and James Robinson, uh, followed your early lead on getting my hands on a couple of those guys. But I think it's important to keep a season long perspective and yes, get excited about the draft, enjoy it, but don't stop there. And I'd like to touch on a few areas that have served me well. I think you can probably speak to them really well that will, you know, help listeners along the way. And to start off, I'd I'd say the first thing would be roster turnover. On one hand, we drafted the players that we picked for a reason. And especially with early to mid round picks, we want to exercise some patience. But on the other hand, I think it's important not to be afraid to churn early and often at the bottom of the roster. So a lot of leagues, quarterback and tight end are positions we wait on, plus some of the depth guys at running back and wide receiver. So we, yes, we drafted them for a reason, but we're not married to them. And I think it's important to, you know, just sever ties and, you know, try to improve your roster when the opportunity presents itself. And at the same time, be willing to live with the result. Because last year, I, like cousin Josh, drafted Justin Jefferson late and cut him right before his breakout. It's really easy to feel the pain of a move like that but it's probably even easier to forget all the times you end up keeping players that you should have cut. So Chris, when it comes to roster turnover, how do you approach trying to stay objective and and just make your team as good as it can be versus the inherent subjective attachment that we will inevitably feel to players that we drafted? (laughs) You you ask a lot of questions that you, the answer to the question is in the question. No, I don't know how to. I don't know how to add anything like that. What you said is right. Everything's right. Early, you you know, you draft them for a reason, and if they're not hurt, don't give up. Don't trade them for nickels on the on the dollar, you know. And middle rounds, it's a little more gray area, but probably exercise some control. And then towards the end, the guys who you took a shot on right before you took a kicker or defense, or in place of kickers or defenses, don't. Yeah, you can't you can't stress too much about the one time you gave up a, a superstar too early. You just because 99% of the time when you let the guy go, he didn't turn in anything and maybe you found someone better. The expected value of your cutting of roster chaff in week one, two or three is and picking up somebody who you've seen be decent or seen someone else get hurt or whatever. Uh, that expected value is always positive. It's always positive. There's no negative to it at all. Just because you had a couple of negative data points does not mean the expected value is negative, right? It's just not. You can't be afraid just because you're worried that one time. Yeah. All right. Well, I know I gave you a pretty long windup in that question. I appreciate the context <laughs> that you added without belaboring the point. So this one will be quicker. We'll touch on the topic of waivers, something everybody wrestles with from time to time. And I will say that I generally try to approach it with you know the saying, a bird in the hand comes to mind. Don't hold back. Most leagues were working with fab or waiver priority. And yes, there's strategy involved, but at a certain point, if you don't use it, you lose it. So I would say be aggressive for the guys you want. And I'll leave it at that and ask you to describe your approach when it comes to how to play the waivers game over the course of a season. I would say be aggressive on the guys you want. Back to you, Matt. (laughs) I'm just teasing (laughs) you. (laughs) I'm only doing it because we're friends. Come on, man. Um, All good. Well, I mean, what's the question? I don't know. Like, how do you, how should so, you spend your fab? I, you know, I don't know. How should you spend your fab? Spend it wisely. <laughs> 
So would you, but I know, I, I mean, I know there's some tongue in cheek, be aggressive for the guys you want, but would you say, I, I think of uh, a parallel being when I was in the Wilson lives league with you. Um, it was a little bit intimidating for me to see how aggressive some people were at the top of the auction. And I'm thinking, Oh man, they're going to run out of money and I'll just clean up on, you know, guys to come a little bit later. And, you know, especially the first year we did that draft, I think I had $13 for my couple final players who were worth $1 a piece. Right, so right, right, right. I've experienced firsthand the the downside of, you know, maybe overthinking it, getting too strategic. Um, but at the same time, if you just, you know, if you spend everything too soon, that seems to be the biggest fear for a lot of people. Maybe it ties in with our last question. You mentioned, you know, don't be afraid of dropping somebody just because they might be a superstar. Just consider it from the standpoint of expected value in the long run. And that has a lot of parallels for a lot of the betters listening to this. So, um, yeah, I, I guess with waivers, knowing, again, it's not a binary of, oh, you're either really aggressive or you sit on all your money. And, and either way, it's going to hurt you. There, There's certainly some middle ground. So I was wondering if there was anything from your experience that you've you found to be particularly valuable when it comes to how to approach waivers. Maybe it's not even tactically being aggressive for the guys you want. Maybe it's mentally being able to have that Zen mindset of, OK, I'm willing to bid up to this amount for a player or I'll use my priority for this guy when I think the time is right. And guess what? It may or may not work out. And either way, once I've made the move, I can't control it. I mean, is, is that something that you've worked to improve on over the years? Just understanding that you don't have as much control over this stuff after you've made your call. Was that the shorter question? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Are you laughing? I hope you're laughing. <laughs> yes. If if you could see my video, you'd see a pretty big grin right now. Uh, so, all that you said, everything you said. So, uh, like, I think probably you're right that that people, especially early, like newer fantasy players, are a little more gun shy early in the season with Fab. And and to be honest, if I if I'm really thinking about that expected value, expected value of cutting roster chafe for the purposes of adding somebody else is always positive, but expected value of spending big on an early season possible, a maybe a flash in the pan, like someone got hurt, the backup is now available kind of thing. I'm going to say that's a little closer to zero. You know what I mean? I actually think that's probably not as obvious. The The idea to drop someone I think is pretty obvious. The idea to spend, you know, a huge percentage of your fab money on one guy very early in the year. Well, gosh, if you've been playing fantasy any length of time, you've definitely gotten you've gotten the, the raw end of that deal. Pick Just pick the wrong guy and be like, oh, cool, there goes 60% of my fab. Awesome. And he's not even playing. Um, but I, stu- I still do think like the earlier, the newer fantasy player probably should like loosen the grip on fab just a little bit. And it doesn't mean you have to fire with both barrels the first guy you think you want. And it's tough to know what the right amount is. You know, it's just, there's no, I get asked that question. So what, you know, tell me how much fab to spend. Like, dude, I don't know what's going to happen. Good luck. I, don't, I do not know. I do not know the amount that you should spend because I don't know what's going to happen. But, you know, I'll often say, this is the one fire. Often, although you hear me on the show, I say, it's not the one don't fire. Um, there's, there's really, it's, it's impossible to give a generalized advice for how to use your fab, except to say, newer players or people, you know, if you feel really, really gun shy about that first month spending on fab, when, when you feel like it's right, or when you listen to your show or my show or, you know, somebody and somebody's saying it's right. And you really want to make sure you get the guy. Don't be too afraid to kind of, you know, really let it rip and realize this might be the one you spend the most on the whole year. For sure. And I think that can tie in with the third thing I wanted to mention here 
trading over the course of the season. Uh, again, some parallels here between roster turnover and waivers. I think a lot of managers can feel maybe too much attachment to somebody they drafted versus just an objectively positive expected value way to upgrade their team. So what are your thoughts when it comes to trading in season and, you know, looking to not just, you know, fleece an opponent because if you, if you, you know, just dominate somebody in a deal, you might not get to trade with them again, but making something that's, yeah, it's mutually beneficial, but when in doubt you want to make sure that you're getting the best player involved or, you know, at least, making your team better regardless of any attachment you might have to guys simply because you drafted them. Um, I, I, what's the question? How do you trade in fantasy? Yeah, I know there's a lot of, you know, different trains of thought on it. So I'm not asking you to tell somebody this player is worth trading for that player. Obviously I know you would say, I don't know what's going to happen after you do it. Well, hold on, hold on. Tactical and sure. Well, no, what I'm, what I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt. Uh, What I'm wondering is like, is the question, should you try to fleece everybody on, on every trade that you make and never make a trade where you're not fleecing somebody? Because the answer to that is probably no. You know, it's really tough to do that. And plus, sometimes you think you're fleecing somebody and you don't know. You know, sure. I, I I would say in redraft leagues, which is clearly what the majority of people play, um, it's I don't make a ton of trades unless I have just, you know, I get slaughtered in one area. And I get, and I have a boon, a surplus in another area, and it just makes sense to go. All right, running back for wide receivers. We just, we got to do this because we got to balance. You know, I need I need help. You need help. Let's let's make this happen. I I would say I tend not to be the one who just is antsy week three and goes, I need to make a trade, fire. You know, and let's just turn things over and make let's you know, I, I'll certainly inquire after underachieving you know players who've started slowly and maybe just check in but i don't know man in most of the leagues i'm in and you've been in leagues that i'm in like usually the owners aren't like yeah he sucks you're right (laughs) they go yeah this is this is tough but i I drafted him and i can't take less than full value for him so if you want to give me the same you know he was my second round pick if you want to give me your second round pick then we could talk and then of course i'll be like well no he hasn't played well um I, I certainly make some trades here and there in redraft leagues, but most of my, I feel like most of my, uh, and this isn't really fair because most of my leagues that I'm serious about are happen to be dynasty, right? But mo- most of my trading is dynasty and most of it happens from the second half of the year forward where I'm either in it and it's time to start, start trading f- future assets that are underperforming or hurt assets or whatever for future seasons for players who can help me make a run. Or if I'm out and, you know, vice versa, get draft picks in the rookie draft or, you know, just, or get rid of somebody who I can't keep next year and get some interesting young players. Um, but there's really no catch all advice for, for any trading. And there's really no catch all advice for redraft trading other than to say, you know, if the, if the only urge behind doing a trade is I'm bored and I just want it, you know, that's probably not a great reason. For sure. Well, I know the the final question I have for you about fantasy football that again I I get there's no catch all advice so um we can we can spare that part of the conversation but I want to acknowledge that we're coming up on crunch time for people preparing for fantasy football season and for a lot of people it can be easy to overthink things and maybe get overwhelmed or you know just look at too many sources think about too many factors that at the end of the day don't really matter all that much. So for yourself, is your, you know, you're not only doing your show and creating so much content, you obviously play in a ton of leagues yourself. And to keep the proper perspective, or at least the best perspective that you can keep, 
what are just some of the things that come to mind initially when it comes to what you're focusing on right now to help maximize your odds of having a successful go at it in fantasy this season? It's a good question. And I don't, I don't know if it applies to me only because I'm so freaking heap dip heap uh, hip deep in it. He said easily. Um, and I've, you know, spent four months writing all this stuff and thinking about it and talking about it, et cetera, that I don't find myself needing to prep for drafts anymore. I just show up. I'm like, Hey there, what's going on? What's the format? Let's do it. Um, but that doesn't mean I can't have empathy for someone who doesn't do this stupid job that I have. And uh, my advice I think would be, <sighs> there are people who are, if you know that you're an over-preparer and you've already done all the, you know, you've already done all the work and you've already established all your opinions and everybody, and you kind of have a rough, I would say, try to back off and, and accept, embrace the randomness. I, I don't know if I've even ever asked you that. I mean, we've hung, we've hung out, uh, you know, dozens of times. Have I ever asked you, did you, was your first fantasy sports playing? Was it baseball? It was. For a lot of people, don't you think it for a lot of people it was when we were kids? Yeah, I mean, baseball used to be more popular. Maybe the analytics revolution caught on earlier. So it, it just became yeah. that entry point. I think there's something there. Yeah. So I think a lot of people who who stress or or expect fantasy football to be controllable. I mean, I, I count myself in the same group just like you. I started on baseball. Baseball is my sports love that I don't even watch anymore. And for certainly it was my introduction to fantasy. And I think a lot of us came from that world where it just is way more controllable. If you work and you, you know, pay attention to batting average on balls in play and laugh at people who get all excited about batting average as predictive. And if you, you know, just all the things now that we have, the tools that we have, it just does feel like it gives you an edge. And if, so if you're kind of an over-preparer, some level of psychological embracing of the chaos that football just isn't anywhere near as predictive there just isn't from season to season it's it's used to be 16 now it's 17 ridiculously discreet and completely independent oh, not completely independent but largely independent to a frustrating degree sets of data you know you have 17 data points in the course of a of a season you got 162 and then all the batter and pitcher interactions inside those like so if you're an over preparer my advice would be stop just recognize that there's only so much control you're going to have and just try to have fun and you know what spend some time thinking about if you got if you got a few same seeming options spend some time about which one you want to root for and pick that one because they're all kind of the same and you don't know what's going to happen on the other side if you're a person who say you know is way more focused on handicapping or or that's that side of the world and then you dip your toe a little bit into fantasy but kind of you do it late and you're like Oh boy, I haven't really, I don't even know who's on what team. I, and I, you know, hear that a lot and that's perfectly great. That's, that's fun too. The kind of preparing I would do would be one or two shows to listen to. You know, you could, you could try mine if, if I don't annoy you too much here. <laughs> um, you, you know, like a, a one or two sets of ranks that you just go, okay, that's cool. Like one look at one sort of snapshot of ADP and think about, get make sure you have a sense of who's now playing where right reading almanac say for example but get get, get up to speed and get get up to to the point where you can kind of take someone on someone else's ranks and mess around with them yourself and come up with what you think be a nice kind of your the order that you would like to take players compare it to average draft position get a sense of where you're higher and lower than the market and you know those are that can be the backbone of like quote unquote your guys and then from there probably see step one you know realize that at some point 
no matter how hard you study, there's really no acing the exam because it is sort of chaos. Yeah, I really like the way you put that because I think, you know, with a, a parallel to handicapping, there is just endless content out there. And a lot of people who are you know more traditionally trained journalists are now being forced to talk about betting as if they know it. And I, I kind of empathize with that, but it can be really tough to figure out if you're just getting into this, who's trustworthy, what information actually matters versus what doesn't. So I really like your point about how maybe a, somebody who primarily handicaps could use that mindset for fantasy football. And also to your first point, once you've prepared to a certain extent, just backing off, that reminds me of a recent conversation I had with Preston Johnson, a professional better known as the sports cheetah. And uh, he, he had a great note about the value of, you know, even though he's a pro better and, you know, there's always something to bet and, you know, it's a 24 seven kind of living. Some of the best things you can do to improve your longevity and your results would be just to know when to back away altogether, get away from the mm. screen and, go for a walk outside, go see a movie, go spend time with a friend who doesn't care about sports, you know, things like that, that, you know, sometimes it might seem like you're stepping away and that can be counterproductive or you might feel guilty about it, but ultimately that's going to be better just, you know, not to get too introspective, but I feel like that's often better for your soul. And then when you get back to whether it's looking at fantasy ranks or looking at the betting board, you can just have a, you know, a refreshed mindset. And actually in some ways I think it can make you sharper when you can stop just beating your head up against the wall. If that's the point that you feel like you're getting near. Yeah, that's a great, I love that anecdote. That's exactly right. I think, I think that's really good advice. Like all, everything we're doing, everything we're talking about, whether it's, whether it's fantasy sports or whether it's handicapping, everything we're talking about is edge. What can give me edge? What can give me something, you know, like a, just that razor margin that makes me money. Nobody's expecting you to win I hope, Matt, that you're, I don't come on your show and you're like, well, Chris is, wins 90% of the fantasy leagues he's in because that's just, you know, this is flat out not true. I win enough. I win more than my share, but you know, I'm, uh, it's an edge. It's a, it's a margin, right? And you're, you're living with that margin. And, and simply the fact is there can become a point where you're do, putting in work that no longer improves your edge. It just doesn't. It just, you're no longer making your margin any bigger by continuing to listen to another voice or continuing to crunch another spreadsheet. And I would argue that for fantasy football, it might be the least edgy thing there is. I, I swear, I don't know what the right percentage is, but I know it feels like it's about half random. You know, if you, if you, if you drafted Christian McCaffrey number one overall last year, like it was, it was possible to win it was possible because, because there always is the exception, but it was real hard because, and not, not through any bad strategy. It just happened to you. It just sort of, it, was, it avalanched you and you were like, Oh, cool. I can't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now. Um, and that's just gonna, it's such a violent game and it's so unpredictable from year to year. And it's so, uh, you know, discrete data point oriented that it will, it'll, it'll really drive you crazy if you try to make it make total sense. Absolutely. And I think that while this can be so much fun for people who really want to compete and, and try to reach an elite level it can become a lot of work. And I love, you know, just the process of pursuing edges. I think uh, there are a lot of us with that kind of mindset, but at yeah. the same time, knowing when to take off the edge can make all the difference. And and one of the things I didn't mention from um, my conversation with Preston, we touched on different ways to, you know, maybe just get a broader perspective on life, but also a way to take off the edge. Of course, we could wrap up weaving in the other pillar of this podcast on the hop side of things. I know you're not much of a beer guy. You mentioned <laughs> in our previous conversation that you are a fan of a good old fashioned. So yes. I'm just curious, are there any, uh, any spots uh, that you'd recommend or any uh, favorite old fashions that you've enjoyed this off season? 
I haven't gone anywhere. Have you been going to bars? I'm very jealous. Yeah, one of my favorites. It's right in your neck of the woods. When you're back here, I'll see if uh, we can get together. Highland Park Brewery, Chinatown, downtown LA has been a godsend. They do have a really good outdoor setup. It's like probably doubled or tripled their capacity. And it's it's just expansive. It's not because you're on top of people. So that has been uh, one of the best ways to get back at it this summer. But knowing that that's yeah. more of a beer spot, um, I, I was curious I about. Um, yeah. The, okay, li- cool. Yeah. Yeah, I know it. I, I, I've probably been at some point some inebriated point um i don't know that i i don't know yeah i I, mostly i'm just not i'm not going anywhere but i have been drinking old fashions (laughs) just so they're homemade (laughs) um now that i'm doing the podcast five a week maybe slightly fewer here and there but yeah i'm not making them real super fancy not no fancy whiskey or anything it's pretty much just like please throw it on some ice let's go but uh i'm it would be lovely I mean, I'm coming back to LA like within two weeks, and so it would be, be love. I like. I think probably what I'm planning on doing to bring the whole conversation completely full circle, I'm planning on coming to your house and sitting at your bar, which I believe I was present for the acquisition of. Correct. Am I, and uh, and it was the last time anybody did anything normal ever, and uh, and you can make me an old fashioned, and that that feels safe to me. All right, sign me up. Well, I'm all in on that in a couple of weeks. But before we get out of here, I want to make sure that we plug your work. Everybody can follow you if they're not already on Twitter and Instagram at Harris Football. Also, a lot of good content on your YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Harris Football. Uh, 2021 Fantasy Football Player Profile Almanac is now available. You've done what your first update but there's another one to come. I love that you keep that as a dynamic document. So again, you talked about writing profiles back in your ESPN days, but once that hit newsstands, it kind of grew stagnant. This is very much not the case. Pretty much anytime you're drafting in August, you can get some of the best and most up-to-date info in the Harris Football Player Profile Almanac. And of course, the podcast, the Harris Football Podcast, every weekday. And I know it's an annual rite of passage coming up later this week. The flag players for 2021 will be revealed. I think I might've covered it all, but uh, if you could uh, let me know if I'm missing anything or if there is anything else you'd like to add. No, that was great. Thank you. As you're very kind. Everything's at harrisfootball.com. So if people just want to go to one place, but I appreciate that very much. Cool. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time coming on the show. Um, Of course, your, your insights always so beneficial selfishly as a fantasy football player myself. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing you soon back in LA and another year of following your insight. One thing I would say is, um, I mean, as listeners can gather just from this conversation, um, you're not afraid to challenge the way people think. And I think that's huge because sometimes, yeah, there are, there are parts of this episode that I'll probably want to edit out, but I think it's it's too good to it's too good not to leave in. And it it you know honestly makes me better having a conversation like this. And every day I listen to your show, I'm getting something that makes me better at fantasy football. So um, I hope that your insight leads to another championship for me this season. But regardless, I know it's going to be more fun and more rewarding because of what you're doing. So Chris, once again, oh, thank you. Of course, you know that that was a nice way of saying I'm a little bit of an a hole. But yeah, it's probably true. <laughs> but that doesn't mean we're not good friends. And actually, you're you know this is this is it's fun to be able to like you know I go on a lot of shows and I don't give the hosts hell. So I hope you take it as a personal badge of friendship that I'm giving. I gave you a little bit of hell here and there, uh, but it was really fun. I mean, it, I it made me think about things I haven't thought about in a while, and just like expressing the way I feel about, especially kind of the meta conversation about fantasy is really really interesting. And you're a great guy, and you're a great friend, and I would do anything for you. So thanks for having me on. Goodbye. 
And thanks again to Chris for coming back on. Even though he gave me some flack on occasion, I want to make it clear that it was coming from a good place. He makes me better at doing this, and that makes the show better as a result. If you enjoyed this conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And you can also check out the new BetUS NFL show with Las Vegas Chris, Scott Kellen, and myself. We're previewing the AFC and NFC West this week. You can find the show on YouTube and Spotify via the links in the show notes. One final housekeeping item this week, if you'd be interested in a real-time conversation with me and the Dimers.com community of more than 1,100 fellow bettors and counting, join us for free on Discord. You can also find that link in the show notes. Alright, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening, I'll talk to you next week, and until then, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well.